Crossing family, if you're excited to be at church and you're thankful for Jesus, let me hear a yep, yep. Man, I love him. Tell you what, um, why do we live here? In spa, I mean, this weather has just been such a blessing, hasn't it? Just so thankful. Um, it's hard to, well, I won't say that because I'll probably feel bad about it later. Anyhow, it's been cold. God bless you all for surviving. You guys are survivors, okay? Um, what I want to do, I want to welcome all of you joining from all of our different locations, those of you online, inside, thankful that we get the opportunity to partner together. And uh, what we're going to do is we've been doing the same thing for uh, the last couple of weeks. I'm going to ask you all to stand wherever you guys are joining from. Would you guys stand up? We're going to pray for you in just a second. And today we're going to pray over a very specific group of people. This uh, might be one where it's tough for you to raise your hand, so don't, you don't have to raise your hand yet, okay? Uh, what I want to do today is I want to pray for those who have either uh, experienced a little bit of failure are in the midst of a little bit of failure. Um, if you're a Green Bay fan, this will be really easy for you guys. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, I was rooting for you, but boy, did we mess that game up, okay? Um, but all of us, we go through these periods and times in our lives where we just feel a little bit like we're failing. Perhaps uh, it's in your marriage. Perhaps it's in your parenting. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in some of your other relationships. And maybe you aren't the person uh, who's experiencing failure right now, but you know somebody who is in the throes of failure, okay? Uh, before we jump into that, I wanna give you three verses to kind of give you some context around failure, and then we're gonna pray for you guys. The first one is Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned, everybody's failed. God has a perfect standard. Every single one of us have failed and come in below God's perfect standard. Every person has failed, however, God's grace covers our failures. Proverbs 24, verse 16 says, for though, a, uh, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Some of you are going, seven seems a little conservative, Clayton. Uh, I wish I'd only failed seven times. I, I, wish that the, I wish that that verse said nine. And if you're a person like me, you're like, I wish that verse said 9,999 for 2022, okay? And right now, you might be in the bottom of one of your failures, but the righteous will rise again. Those who cling to the Lord and hope in the Lord will not stay there forever. They will rise again. Don't count yourself out. Don't count your situation as final because God has the power to help you rise and the power to help you rebuild. Listen to what the psalmist declares, or declares in Psalm chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he heard me, and he turned to me. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And there might be some of you right now that you are standing on the rock that he's placed you on. But there might be others of you that you still feel like you're in the pit and you've lost the ability to sing a new song and I just wanna pray for people that find themselves in that situation. Now, I know it might be tough for you to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm either in the throes of things not going the way I want them to go, or I know people that are in the throes of uh, things not going the way that they want them to, but we wanna pray for you uh, nonetheless. So at all of our locations, if you're going, yeah, I'm either in that spot or I know somebody who's in that spot, 
Would you put your hand up and we as a church just want to pray for you? I see a bunch of hands. God bless you for that. If you're a Christian and you call this church home, would you love on them real quick and come around them and pray for them? If you're going, yeah, I don't want someone close to me because of COVID, we get that. Go ahead and put your hand down. We'll pray for you anyway from a distance. But if I want people to know that they're loved in this place, that we care about them. We're thankful for them. Okay, would you guys pray with me? God, we are thankful that you can redeem any and every situation, that nothing is over as long as you're in it. And God, I pray that people that are in the midst of the heartache and the pain and the suffering of failure, that God, that you would uh, bring in your truth, that you would bring in your strength, and that you would surround them with God the community. We love you so much. You know, I pray, amen. Would you guys go ahead and grab a seat? And while you're doing that, I'm gonna jump into the message. We're in a sermon series called There Has to Be a Place. Week one, there has to be a place for everyone, and it's gonna take every one of us to make that happen. And we took a look at this spiritual spectrum, and we realized that as a church, we have a spiritual obligation to everybody on this continuum, to those who are far from Jesus and to those who've been following Jesus for a long time. And then we recognize that as a church, we have a spiritual obligation to this entire region and whatever God grows it to be. And we wanna make it the hardest place on planet Earth to get to hell from. That many years from now, our kids and our grandkids and our gra- <coughs> grandkids' grandkids will go, I was fortunate enough to be born in an area that had a church like this and that we would be a church like that that helps people find that relationship with Jesus. And then um, we talked about sometimes uh, there has to be a place that gives people time. And I have never had a sermon quoted back at me so many times. I wish I hadn't have preached it. I'll be honest with you. I've heard like six people go, well, Clayton, it just takes time. I'm like, yeah, well, okay, I don't need to hear that anymore. <laughs> okay, it just, but it is, we all, how many of you guys have been realizing the truth of that? Sometimes it just takes time. Yeah, me too. Maybe that sermon was for me, okay? And sometimes as Christians, we can get frustrated because it takes more time time than we want for people to grow in the relationship with Jesus, but we decided as a church that we are gonna be a place that gives and loves and serves and cares and prays for people to give them all the time that they need. Because Jesus was patient with us, we are gonna be patient with them. And last week we talked about there has to be a place for water walkers, a place for people to take their big steps of faith, and that we as a church wanna be there and root and celebrate for them as they take those steps of faith, but we acknowledge this truth, that you can't cheer people on from the boat, that we have to take our step of faith, and that is as God is sustaining us in our faith walk that we're able to turn around and inspire other people to take theirs. Today, this is the title of my sermon, there has to be a place that tells people it's not over. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, it's not over? If your marriage was in a tough spot, that was an interesting thing to turn to your spouse and say, you're welcome, God bless. Uh, I, when I asked you guys if you've been through things that are, you've failed, just so you know, uh, I've failed a ton, okay? Uh, let me just take you through at least some of them. I'm not taking you through all of them because I don't know how much we love each other yet, but I'm just gonna give you the ones that I'm comfortable with. Um, I failed at starting uh, at a knife-making business. Um, I bought a, a kiln and a forge and, all, and an anvil and all the stuff, and uh, by a show of fingers, how many knives did I make? Yeah, judging by the hands, you guys got it perfect. Yeah, uh, zero, I made zero knives. Uh, I, did, I did recover my, my, the cost on all the stuff I purchased, but yeah, I was like, yeah, I think this will be awesome. It'll be a fun little hobby for me. 
because I went deep into a YouTube trail on making knives, and I was like, I think, I, I think this is me. And I never even turned the kiln on. I never did. I just like, yeah, okay, we'll get rid of it. Uh, I tried to launch a YouTube cooking channel that inspired uh, husbands to be more helpful around the house and do devotions with their kids. Uh, then I, yep, that didn't do that. Uh, I tried my hand at designing uh, clothing, and I've had a couple of horrible t-shirts made on behalf of Jesus and the Crossing. Uh, Holly was there for one of them. Um, when I was in college ministry at our Macomb location, I was getting ready to teach a sermon series on sex to a bunch of college kids, and I was like, you know what I'll do? I'll make a shirt that kind of highlights what I'm going to be talking about for each of the weeks. And because I grew up with a little bit of Clint Eastwood and there's good, bad, and ugly, could you not let me describe the shirt to you and you'll understand why I shouldn't do this. Um, On this side, it said the word sex, S-E-X, in white letters. Nope, in red letters. And then it said good, bad, and ugly. And And it was a black shirt, and I thought that people would just love that. But then I realized that, no, people don't want to walk around a college campus with a shirt that says sex, good, bad, and ugly on it. And so, uh, you know, those, we lost money on those, okay? We all did. God bless you for being. Yeah, if you bought the zip code shirt, that was another one of my dumb ideas, and I apologize for that one. Uh, I failed at journaling. I've missed 75% of my New Year's resolutions. Um, I fail still. I'm a failure at folding towels the right way. For those of you who know, you know. God bless you. I, uh, I have failed multiple times at running a bead of caulk around the shower. And um, I have holes in two different showers to prove that because after I tried to do it and it didn't work out, something came over me and then I, um, well, I punched a hole in both of the showers. And now there is pink duct tape uh, where I shower. So this morning when I got ready, I look at pink duct tape from the last time I tried to do any kind of uh, that. And so I'm the guy who has to call people over and be like, yeah, can you do the thing that everybody else can do? Because my wife is like, yeah, we can't afford to replace, you know, Clayton-sized fist holes everywhere. And so, like, that's another thing I've failed at. Um, uh, There are lots of other ways that I've failed, but you get the idea. I am acquainted with failure. And some of you are like me. And you think that failure is a great teacher. How many of you across all of our locations will go, oh yeah, failure's a great teacher? Oh yeah, 100%, and you'd be right. A quick look on your favorite uh, internet search engine will show you that some of the most successful people on earth have also failed in extravagant ways. That you learn from your mistakes and they'll talk about failing forward. How many of you guys have ever heard that catchy phrase? You gotta learn how to fail forward. Man, I love that kind of stuff. And uh, in fact, to be... I can get a little nervous if I'm hanging out with somebody who's never failed because more than likely they've never tried anything of significance. They've never, I would much rather be around a group of people who at least dare to try to do something than never dare at all, right? And you guys are going, okay, I get this. Well, the problem is there is a big difference from experiencing failure and feeling like one. And sometimes people experience a failure and then they allow that experience to become their identity. And then they feel like a failure. And nothing is more devastating than when that happens to us spiritually. That we feel like we have failed or we are a failure when it comes to our faith. It might be people who had a marriage blow up or suffer from a deep depression or got caught up in a sin. And more than likely, uh, there's some people at all of our locations, I need you to 
listen to this message because there are people that need to hear this message that won't hear this message because they're not here anymore. Because spiritually they, they failed, they blew up, and they may not hear the message that I'm about to give you, and I'm asking you to listen to this message because you may have to preach it. You may have to sit across the table from somebody and tell them it's not over. What I need you to be able to tell them is that this is a church for them. This is a church for people who have messed up. This is a church for people who have failed. This is a church for people who are struggling. This church, it has to have a theme that says it's not over. What I've noticed is that Satan loves to pounce on people when they slip up and they fail and they make mistakes. And then Satan, uh, he does even more with those because he comes alongside of them and goes, well, you were trying to follow God, but I guess you didn't hear him or you can't hear him or maybe he just doesn't care about you. And he tries to get them to believe that they not only can they not hear God, but that they're not even loved by God. And eventually these people, uh, they maybe stop showing up at church altogether. Maybe you watch them lead or serve or do ministry in spectacular ways or they used to sit next to you in life group or they used to sit next to you at church but then some event happened in their life and then Satan used it to disconnect them from the church altogether. And what Satan does is he tries to whisper to them, well, you can't come back because it'll be awkward. You can't go back because you won't be welcome. You can't go back, it'll be weird. That's one of the dangerous things uh, about how Satan works through our failures is because he will try to isolate us in our failure. And what I've noticed, and maybe you guys notice this too, I've never seen anybody grow spiritually in the absence of community. That like the biggest steps of faith that I've taken and the people around me have taken have been because there's been a support system around them to help them go through the highs and lows of life. But if Satan can get you isolated in an event, in a failure, and he can keep you from community, you may never live the life that you were designed to live. That's why our online can be a bit of a blessing and a curse. And online, I hope you're hearing this from a pastor who really loves you and cares for you. Online can be an incredible thing when you're sick or you're traveling or you're homebound. However, it can be used by some of you to kind of stay up to speed with the church but keep you disconnected from the community of the church. And I want you to be careful because Satan can convince you that being online is good enough, but realizing that you're not gonna grow the way God designed you to grow in the absence of a spirit-filled community. And that is not just a church service, but that's other people being around you. Now, before I get into the meat of the sermon, there might be some of you right now that are going, man, I'm glad Clayton's preaching this because I know a lot of people who are bad. And there's always people, it doesn't matter what I preach, that they hear something completely different. So let me just at least acknowledge a couple of things here on the front end. That I don't want us to have a prideful spirit as we listen to this message. So I'm just gonna give you three little warnings. First Corinthians chapter 10. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Because Satan attacks us all. You're actually gonna see that in the story I'm gonna tell you later on in this message. Uh, look what it says in Proverbs 16. You guys know this one. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, Paul warns us that this can happen. He says this to the Galatians as his heart breaks for them. This is what he says. He goes, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? 
What kind of persuasion, or that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Satan can take just a little bit of failure, just a little bit of time off, just a little bit of time away, and he can cut you off from running what would have been a spectacular race. He can whisper just a few lies and use it to slow you down and then eventually take you out of the race completely. The story I want to tell you starts on the very night that Jesus was betrayed. He has just finished eating with his disciples. He is talking to them about what is going to be happening to them. And he tells his disciples, his 12 closest friends, you are all going to desert me. And this is what they have to say about this. Peter declared, you remember Peter, even if all fall away, I will not. Remember I just said pride goes before a, a fall. For those, the two people that of you are that were listening, God bless you. Okay. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today... Yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Then Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is arrested. And Peter pulls out his sword, And he takes a big swing, and he cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus is being arrested. Peter pulls out his sword, cuts off an ear. There's an ear laying on the ground. Check out how cool your Jesus is. He turns to Peter and goes, nope, this is not how we're handling it. And then he reaches down, and he uh, touches Malchus's ear, and he heals it. In the middle of him getting ready to go and die, he is paying attention to the lost ear of a servant, of the high priest who's causing everything to happen. Can you imagine being one of the guards that's carrying Jesus, or that's arresting him? I mean, put you and yourself in those shoes. Oh my, what? We want to get, we need more of these guys. This guy would be fantastic. My wife's knee's been killing her. We got to keep him around. Can you imagine seeing that kind of raw power and ear just completely fixed and that's the dude you've got to like walk because he's been arrested? Then, look what happens. Now when we get ready to read this, you're gonna, uh, we're gonna be reading in the book of John and John never gives away his name but we know that it's John and him and Peter kind of have this thing going back and forth as to like who's the coolest. You guys will see this in the scriptures. Just let you know that like, Jesus' disciples were real people just like you and me. Have you guys ever had like a little bit of one-upsmanship with somebody? Okay, you're gonna love this. All right, look what happens. Simon Peter followed Jesus as did another of the disciples. That's John. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest. So he knows people. So he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Simon, or Okay, we'll keep going in the text. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Okay? Yeah, that other disciple, he happens to know some people. He, he was in, allowed into the courtyard. But Peter, since he knows nobody, he had to stay outside the gate. Oh, hold on a second. Then the disciple who knew the high priest, let me just mention who I know again, spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. Go ahead, Peter. I know people. You can go ahead and come on in. Okay? Let's keep going in the text. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? 
How many of you guys have ever been asked a question like that that's impossible to answer? You're not gonna date her, are you? Right? You're not gonna marry him, are you? You're not gonna eat that entire gallon of ice cream during this Chiefs football game this afternoon, are you? Well, I was. <laughs> and some Doritos, to be honest with you, babe. Okay, let's not get all judgy, okay? You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? Peter, check this out. The dude who said, I will never disown you, I will die for you, even if everybody else leaves, I won't leave, gets asked one question by a small girl. And he's like, no, he said, I'm not. Look what happens, that's one. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. This is one word in the Greek, but we tease it out here in the English, uh, charcoal fire. Just put this in the back of your head, we're gonna come back to it. This, is, this verse, or this word, only shows up twice in all of Scripture. This is the first time it shows up. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Let's keep going. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I'm not. That's two. Let's keep going in the text. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? I had to slow down there because on Thursday night I said olive garden. <laughs> I, <clears throat> uh, real hungry, I guess, okay? It's important that I eat before church, right? She's sitting there like, man, I feel... I feel like I've seen you before. I, I never forget a face, especially the face of a dude who cut my cousin's ear off. I remember all of those people. There's only been one. It's your face. I've seen you before. I know who you are. This isn't like months ago. This was like hours ago. Like 30 minutes ago, didn't I see you like with a little bloody sword? Can I see your sword? Is there blood on it? Okay. Uh, let's keep going in the text. Again, Peter denied it and immediately... A rooster crowed. A couple years back, I had the opportunity to be uh, in Israel, and I got to be on the Sea of Galilee. And because of the time change, uh, my sleep schedule was all whacked out, and I was out walking along the banks of the Sea of Galilee really early in the morning, and I was kind of, you know, just having some chill time, and I remember hearing a rooster crow. And I immediately thought of all the times that I had denied Jesus, failed Jesus, let Jesus down. Maybe you can think of some of the times that you've done it too. Some have suggested that Peter never heard the crow of a rooster for the rest of his life without shedding a tear. Peter is hitting rock bottom. Peter is overwhelmed by the, what I call, used to be. Have you ever experienced a little bit of used to be? A husband and wife were um, getting ready one day and he had just hopped out of the shower and he was in the bathroom and he was looking at himself in the mirror and he's like, babe, I just am looking at myself and I'm just old and fat and wrinkly and out of shape. I just need you to say just, I just need an encouraging word to help me get through this upcoming day. 
And his wife said, well, your eyesight's darn near perfect. <laughs> How many of you married a woman like that? God bless you. Used to be. You used to be skinny. You used to be athletic. You used to be smart. You used to like being around people. Yeah, used to be. Well, Peter's dealing with an awful lot of used to be. People might have looked at Peter and said, didn't you used to be the one who was the first person to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God? Didn't you used to be the one who walked on water? Didn't you used to be the one who helped with the feeding of the 5,000? Didn't you used to be the one who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? Didn't you used to be the one who was going to fight to the death for Jesus? Didn't you used to be the one who said, even if everybody else denies you, I never will? You used to be. Maybe some of you at all of our locations, there's a, a little bit of used to be in you. You used to be on staff, or you used to lead, or you used to be in ministry, you used to build the kingdom. You used to be in the baptistry. You used to teach the kids. You used to disciple the saved. You used to reach the lost. You used to be on the team. You used to be. I've been putting this continuum up on stage for every single week. I I wanna say something. I need you to hear me say this. God loves absolutely everybody on this continuum. He loves the plus fives and the minus fives. Equally. Equally, there's a part of us, some of us, who are going, man, if I could just become a plus three in my faith, then he would really love me. No. No. Parents, that's like having a teenager and a baby and going, man, as soon as this kid starts driving, I'm really going to love it. No, you, you love it fully in the moment that it's in. Jesus, no matter where you are, this isn't better or worse than This is just where you're at in your faith. And he loves you equally. But what Satan will get you to do is to go, well, you used to be a five, but now you're a three. And you used to be a three, and now you're a .5. And you used to be, you know what? You shouldn't even be a, and he pulls you away. And he pulls you out of faith, and he pulls you out of community. And then he gets you in isolation, and then he never lets go. And maybe you've thought it, maybe you've felt it, maybe you've even uttered it, that you used to be. And now you can't because you've failed. I'm not gonna leave you in this moment for too long because this is just one of the million reasons why I love Jesus, and I think it's one of the million reasons why you will love Jesus too. Look what happens, look what Jesus does. John chapter 21, verse one. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, here's why I'm telling you this, is because Jesus was killed in Jerusalem, and Galilee is 70 miles away. Now, you're going, 70 miles isn't that far. Well, that's because you're hopping in your car and driving 70 miles an hour. This was a multi-day walk out of his way. Jesus goes on a 70-mile hike, and look what our Jesus does. This is how it happened. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in a boat, but they caught nothing all night. Does anybody from week two remember anything? 
that Peter and his friends had been fishing all night and they had caught nothing in Luke chapter five. Let's keep reading in the text. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was, so he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Sound familiar? Okay, let's keep going. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat. Okay, let's just stop for a second. Put yourself in the boat. Hey, crazy man on the shore. I'm guessing the fish haven't been this far away all night. Oh, we've been fishing on the wrong side of the boat? Okay. What, like fish are just nat- naturally gradu- uh, like going, oh yeah, we swim on the right side of the boats because they'll never know, right? Imagine you getting this kind of advice after fishing all night. Oh, oh the other side? Oh, thanks. We never even thought of that, okay? So they did. They're better than me. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Does it sound familiar to anybody? Remember when Jesus called Peter to be his disciple? It was after a night of catching no fish, and then they caught so much fish that they couldn't haul it all in. Now let's keep going. Then the disciple, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for there were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire. Does this sound familiar to anybody? And some bread. There are only two times in all of Scripture that a charcoal fire shows up. One is where Peter denied Jesus. And the second one is where Jesus restored Peter. One was a fire of denial and the other one was a fire of grace. Look what happens. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, count the questions that Jesus asked Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? That's two. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter went on to be crucified upside down. Someone dressed him and led him where he didn't want to go, a place to die, and they stretched out his hands and they crucified Peter. And then he said to Peter, follow me. This is, this is why I love Jesus so stinking much and why you should love him too. After Peter failed, he thought he could no longer be used to be a fisher of men anymore. He thought 
all I can do is fish. And he goes back to fishing. And Jesus shows up and recreates the day that he called him into ministry. But he doesn't just recreate the day that he called him into ministry, he recreates the day that Peter thought he could no longer do ministry. And every time he asks Peter, do you love me? He gives him a mission. Then feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. Peter's thinking, I can't do ministry anymore. I can't be used anymore. I'm a used to be. And Jesus is going, I've got a mission for you. There were three questions that led to denial and there were three questions that led to restoration. Peter never visited those nets again. He got done with that charcoal fire with Jesus and he went on to preach the very first sermon and 3,000 people were baptized that day. He went on to heal people. He went on to do and deal hardship for the gospel, suffer imprisonment and he was never ashamed of Jesus or the gospel ever Again, he went on to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, which is a really big deal because most of us, unless you're a Jew, are Gentiles. Peter's failure wasn't the end of his testimony. It was the introduction to his testimony. And his failure just showed how awesome and how extravagant God's love actually is. And what I came to tell you today is there has to be a place that tells people it's not over that they can still be used, that they can still be redeemed, that they, God can restore you and repurpose you, that it is not over. Our Jesus goes 70 miles out of his way to make breakfast over a charcoal fire for a dude who betrayed him, abandoned him, denied he even knew him. Jesus goes 70 miles out of his way to tell Peter It's not over. And I want us to be a church that tells people the exact same thing. There are people in your life and maybe you are in this spot right now that you think it is over. You think it's done. You think there's not a bright future and we need to be the people that rally around them and say, no, it's not. As long as Jesus is in it, it's not over. Over. There has to be a place that tells people it's not over, and I say that place is here. I say that place is with us, and I say it's now. Would you join me in that mission? We're moving to a time of decision. There are some of you in here right now, and you're going, man, Clayton, that's a great message, but um, I don't think you're talking about me. And what I'm here to tell you that uh, nothing can be further from the truth. That every single person that I'm talking to, whether you will admit it or not, you are a spiritual failure. I gave that away at the very beginning of the message. That's what Romans chapter three, verse 23 tells us. Every single one of us have failed spiritually. Nobody in here is perfect. If you were perfect, uh, Jesus wouldn't have sent his, or God wouldn't have sent his son Jesus. He would have sent you. He sent Jesus for the express purpose that we are failures. We have failed spiritually, but your failure doesn't have to be final. But the biggest mistake you can make is being in front of a perfect Jesus who's ready to cover for all of your mistakes and all of your inadequacies and all of your sins and cover it with his precious blood and reject it and go, yeah, I'm just too messed up. 
The more messed up you think you are, the more you need Jesus. The foot is, if you grew up in church, some of you have heard this before, but the ground is level at the foot of the cross because all of us have sinned. And while you might see my sins as better or worse than your sins, the bottom line is, is all sin needs to be atoned for and it was all atoned for by him. And if you're in here today and you've never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can. You can start it today. There's no reason to put it off. And if you have questions about what that is or what that looks like, there's gonna be somebody over by the baptistry who would love to talk to you about what that is and what that looks like and begin answering some of the questions that you're wrestling with. For the rest of you in here, you have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, You've been following him for a while, but maybe you feel like uh, you've never lived up to your spiritual potential. Maybe you're carrying the weight of like your earthly father and you know you were supposed to be this and you never ended up being that and you kind of feel like that's how God looks at you. And I want you to hear me say this, it's not over. It's not over. You might be going, but Clayton, I've blown up my ministry or I've blown up my marriage or I've blown up my relationship with my kids. I've blown it up and I just want you to hear me say this, it's not over because I have seen situations that looked final, that it looked like that situation was down for the count. I have seen situations where people would have said, all hope is lost. And then in a moment, in a flash, somehow, They allowed Jesus in to the situation and he started taking ground little by little, moment by moment, day after day. And now they will look back and this is the testimony that they would share to you. That the best thing that ever happened to me was the darkest moment of my life. I've been in marriage counseling and they would say, I know this sounds crazy, but one of the best things that ever happened to us was that affair. And listen, that is the worst way to describe your marriage. That the best thing that ever happened was the affair, but they're not focusing on the affair, they're focusing on what God did in what appeared to be an unredeemable situation. And if I could beg those of you in this room or those of you online to do anything today, it would be that, to get God right in the middle of the situation whether it is your success or your failure, to go, God, would you be right in the middle of it? Third thing I'm asking, and this is the biggest ask. There are some of you in here that you know people. They used to serve with you. They used to sit next to you at church. They used to be uh, in your life group. They used to do life with you, and they're gone. And I need you to know that Satan might be using their isolation to drive them further from God, and I am asking you this week, not just to come up to the steps and pray for them before you leave, I'm asking you to call them up, take them out for lunch, buy them a meal, and look across the table from them and say, it's not over. God could use, God could use those three words to resurrect a situation, and we've gotta be people We've gotta be a place 
that has those conversations. If Jesus goes 70 miles out of his way on foot, we can buy a nice meal and give some people hope. I hope that's the kind of church we are. Would you stand with me? God, right now I am personally so hopeful. I'm believing that you are gonna use these next couple of moments to bring about significant change, not just for the people in this room or the people that are watching online, but you're gonna bring about significant change in the people that we are gonna take this message to. God, I don't want this message and I don't want this theme to die at the doors. God, I wanna make it, I want it to make it to the edges of our reach. God, that there are people that are just hurting right now and they need hope. There are people who think that it's done and God, they need to know that you're not done. So God, use us. And that might be one of your most special aspects of grace is that you do. You use us, unworthy, messed up, broken people. You use us to be a part of your great mission. And so God, we, we thank you for that because we don't deserve it. And I pray that as we get down on our knees that we would experience you and draw closer to you and be encouraged and equipped by you for what lies ahead. In your name I pray, amen.